BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We've been away uh, for a few weeks. Yeah, it's good to see you, Josh. Yeah, it's good to see you. Well, we see each other uh, in in the office, but but this is the first time in in, uh, about a month that we've done an episode of our podcast, the Josh Marshall Podcast, Uh, but we're back. Um, and you should be. We should be back to the standard weekly, or even more than weekly, um, podcast. Yep. So that'll be cool. And and today, today we're going to talk about. We're just going. We're going to talk about the election because because we have gotten in in the in the time since the last episode of the podcast, we have gotten a lot closer yeah. to this critical midterm election. Two weeks from today, it's hard to believe. Two weeks from today, and it's and it's like. I feel a lot of angst in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know about you listening on the podcast, you know, at the gym, or on the commute, or whatever. But I think there's, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of angst. Not not. I mean, obviously, most of our most of our listeners um, are hoping for a big blue wave. Um, and I don't. It's funny. And this this is one thing we're going to talk about. I don't think it's that there's a lot of signs that that Democrats aren't going to do well or Republicans are going to do well or something like that. I think there's just there's been so much building up to this. Um, every, you know, every goddamn crazy thing that has happened yeah. <laughs> since January 2017. Yeah, totally. Or, or even really, earlier, right? Yeah, yeah. Kind of in, in the, in the interregnum between the two administrations, sort of like everything that has, um, that has happened, certainly for people who are aghast at president Trump, it's like, well, next, you know, next election. <laughs> exactly. We're going to kind of, and I think too, like, Obviously, people thought November 2016 was going to go a certain way, and you know a lot of people turned out to be wrong about that. So I think right. yeah, there's sort of some nervous energy leading to this one. You know, again, it seems like Democrats will do well. All signs basically point that yeah. way, but I mean, we don't know. Yeah, and it was certainly a. I mean, I don't have to tell for our listeners. You know, we don't have to tell you it was a shock. <laughs> it was a. I mean, right. it wasn't just a, a a bad shock for Democrats and sane people. Um, but it was just uh, statistically a shock. Yeah, and it's funny. Right. One, one thing we're going to talk about today is uh, we did a conference call uh, last week with with Nate Silver. And one of the interesting things is in, in 2016, like almost everybody else, uh, Nate Silver's prediction turned out to – well, th- there's there's – questions about how you talk about statistics of what is, you know, quote unquote wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think he had something like kind of two to one odds for Hillary Clinton. You know, she was in the mid 60s, Trump in the 30s or something like that. Um, so that doesn't mean in, in a technical sense, that doesn't mean the his prediction was wrong. It was only saying that two time. You that know, was the likelihood. Yeah. Two, two out of three times uh, 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 Clinton will win. But what was interesting, and I know that he got a lot of grief 
in the final weeks of the 2016 campaign. Because you had a lot of other like prognosticators. And when I say prognosticators, I mean people who have models and stuff like that, um, that were saying, you know, it's Hillary, like 95% chance right. that Hillary Clinton's going to win or like 98% yeah. chance. Didn't like the New York Times needle start out at that point and then slowly it, it drifted uh, the other way? Something you, like that. You mean over the course of election night? Yeah, exactly. Oh, right. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, I'm still, I still like blacking that out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so clearly there were... Um, and again, there's this there's this issue about what are statistical probabilities. If you say uh, there's you know a ninety percent chance of something, it also means that that there is a ten percent chance right. of the other thing. Right. So just because the um, the other thing happened doesn't mean your prediction, quote unquote, was wrong. Right. However, when when you have, you know, kind of like 95% probability, maybe, maybe your model was wrong, you know. <laughs> um, but in any case, yeah. well, so he, he got a lot of grief because like everyone else, his model predicted a Hillary Clinton win. But he was saying there was a lot higher probability, possibility that Trump could win than a lot of the other prognosticators. Um, and again, here I'm talking about prognosticators, not like kind of Jimmy the Greek old school stuff, but people mm -hmm. with like data models and yeah. stuff like that. And what he was saying, I think, was basically that the number of undecided voters, some stuff about, about um, you know, inconsistency in the polls basically made, created an uncertainty factor that was greater than people um, say. And one of the things about this cycle is it's kind of on the other side. His model and, you know, kind of to the extent that he sort of speaks kind of, you know, from his own intuition beyond, beyond the model um, is more, uh, more favorable to the Democrats uh, in the House of Representatives than a lot of other prognosticators. So we're going to kind of talk about why that seems to be and what goes into his model and kind of, you know, races we like and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, David, you're from Wisconsin. No, you're Minnesota. from Minnesota. Yeah. As, that's even better. It's that's Eric, even better. Eric Paulson's district, actually. Yeah. So what's the, so I, I just heard that, that, uh, he's like, he's fighting for his life. He's yeah. like the only Democrat. I mean, one of the right. very few Democrats like fighting for his life in this cycle. Republican. So I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Republicans. Yeah. yeah. So, but no, but he's the one who, yeah, wait, isn't he the one that, that they think is going right, to may, may pull it out because he's in a, wait, tell me, I'm, I'm, I'm totally He represents it. the eighth district. If I'm not mistaken, that's like sort of suburban Minneapolis area. That's where my family right, lives. Right. Right. Um, it's like an area that has sort of grown increasingly wealthy over the decades. Okay. My parents are retired public school teachers, right? right? So right, we, right. my dad taught in the school district, uh, in that area. And, um, yeah, I was just watching his opponent is kind of like, seems like an, a charismatic guy, the Democrat. I, I can't place his name. Yeah, I don't know. Um, no, but exactly. he drives around in this like old ice cream truck and kind of like has this weird folksiness about him. Oh, yeah. Huh. Okay, I have it. I, I, I clearly am clueless about, about Minnesota. But there's, yeah. but there's, but what, who, who's, who, who, do you know who the rep is in the Iron Range? Like oh, uh, the there? upstate one. No, I I can't remember that. I guess that's that. That's that the is, race you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, that's the one place apparently. Or maybe there's even two 
dis- I can't remember exactly. It's one of the few places in the country where, and I, I think it's maybe two seats in that general part of the state, right. that um, uh, that Republicans seem to have a possible pickup shot, mm. whereas everywhere else, basically, they're they're uh, they're fighting defense. Yeah. Before we get any before we get any further, let me say a quick word about Grady's cold brew iced coffee. One in on New York City's favorite cold brew, head to Grady's.com. I'm sorry, total fail on my part. Grady's coldbrew.com. I almost lost Grady's, like a lot of per, of, of We love you, Grady's. Don't worry yeah, about sorry that. about that. Head to Grady'sColdBrew.com for free shipping on all their greatest hits. Grady's famous coffee concentrate is cold brewed, delivering the strongest, smoothest, most refreshing iced coffee on the market. Using a special blend of Indonesian and Ethiopian beans and chicory imported from France. I wouldn't know. Like, do they make chicory in France? Right. It's like kind of a woodsy plant sort of thing, I right? I have no idea. I figured all those kind of things come from like Southeast Asia right. or something like that. Um, so France is still like producing some stuff. Grady's has a touch of natural sweetness without any added sugar. Grady's is independently owned and operated and has been brewing in New York City since 2001. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's promo code TPM. Okay, so just to start out here, like, so I, you know, I, I am, I am, uh, you know, refreshing 538 like constantly it's totally <laughs> pathetic because because i you know so much is riding on the house changing hands right. and being run by the democrats uh next year and and that is kind of like i i i'm i'm just obsessed with it not not because i you know every if, if you look at the if you look at the polls, and by this I mean, you know, the congressional generics, the sort of the the polls in 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 individual districts, kind of all these different things, history, it looks very good for the Democrats, but it's not a slam dunk, and there's so much on the line that the fact that it's not a slam dunk has me nervous, and and I need this to be done, and I need the yeah, outcome to be right. good. Do you uh, have Do you have what are the I mean, what's the latest sort of snapshot you've seen from five thirty eight? Do you have that in mind? Like what the yeah, ba- what his projection is basically. Uh, I I think uh, he has you know a pickup of you know thirty some odd uh, some some thirty thirty something. Right. And number. is it twenty five Democrats need to flip twenty three? Okay, yeah, you need twenty three to to flip. And um, I think he has the, you know, the odds at like 85 percent or even just a bit over, which is like a, a very high number. Yeah. Um, one thing he we, we had this we had this conference call with him. And one thing he ex- helped me understand is one, one, one thing there was a we talked about, like, how do you come up with the model? Right. Like just at the beginning, like clearly you refine it each time. Mm-hmm. But that was that was interesting. But anyway. One of the reasons that his model is more sanguine for the Democrats is that he figures in fundraising into his model. And basically in this cycle, so what small donor fundraising, and, and in this case, we just mean kind of like hard money under under campaign finance limits, so we're not just yeah. talking about like twenty bucks. We're people talking putting about people, their names to it, kind of right? Thing. Exactly. Yeah. People mm-hmm. who I, you know you can put in like you know a couple thousand dollars right. for a single candidate, but those kind of contributions that are coming from actual people, they're under limits and stuff like that. And a lot of it is relatively small, fifty bucks, hundred bucks, right. something like that. 
those numbers have been going up in recent cycles because, as we all know, it's just much easier to uh, contribute to campaigns right now with with the internet and all yeah. the different ways that um, campaigns send you emails and get you pumped up and like, oh, we're going to do this and give us five bucks and all this kind of stuff. Um, those numbers for both parties have been going up cycle after cycle, uh, probably in part because of political polarization, but also because it's just easier to do. They have easier ways to contact you and stuff like that. What has happened in this cycle is that fundraising for Democrats is like through the roof. And at the same time, Republican contributions have fallen flat. So it's both things happening at the, at the, at the same time. And his model, and this is one of the things we talked about, and there's actually, if you look, um, if you go to 538, I think he has an article where he basically explains what I'm, what I'm about to say, or part of what I'm about to say um, on his site. But basically, it's not just, obviously, if you have more money, presumably you can campaign more effectively, all that kind of stuff. Right. But I think what his model does, it's not so much that. It's not so much that if you have more money, you can be more successful. It's as a proxy for enthusiasm. Hmm. Um, that if, if, you know, if Democratic candidates are raising a ton more money, that is just a measure of their people right. pumped. There's a higher bar to donate than there is to vote, you would think, basically, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, so... The key, though, is that the Democratic advantage is so much higher in fundraising. And again, this is not including like, you know, Sheldon Adelson <laughs> writing right. a check for $100 right. million. Dollars. We're talking about, you know, individual people in, in under campaign limits, that kind of, you know, ordinary people donating money. It's so much higher that there's a possibility, well, maybe, maybe it's like so through the roof that its impact is not the same hmm. as it has been in other cycles. Maybe it's people from, you know, it's all people from uh, blue states pouring money, in, right. you know, pouring money into red states, or um, maybe it's just, you know, the same ten people so like right. so hyped up that they're giving tons of money. So right. that's one of the that is one of the um, that's one of the one of the questions that we're gonna um, get an answer to in a couple weeks was was the was the lopsided campaign contributions good evidence that Democrats were a lot more pumped up, a lot more activated in ways that maybe polls don't can't quite give yeah. you an example of. This might be a premature question to ask you, but I'm curious what your take is on Paul Krugman recently saying that you don't count on Trump to accept the election results if the House flips as a legitimate kind of result. You've seen Carl Bernstein, he reported. I mean, this was just kind of on air a couple of days ago that Trump has been talking about how to call into question the results if it doesn't go his way. I mean, do you worry about that being an issue or will it be so overwhelming that you can't really do anything to push back on that? Well, I mean, I fully expect that if the Democrats win like anywhere, do anything good, that he is, I mean, he's as much as said, there's tons of voter fraud. Right. There's, you know, illegals as he calls, as he calls them who are voting. I mean, he said, he said in the election that he won, that right. like three million people voted <laughs> right. illegally. Exactly right. So yeah, I fully expect that he will do that. I don't, 
I, uh, maybe I'm naive, I would be very surprised if there is anything beyond, you know, making claims, just saying on Twitter. Spouting off kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah. it's, it's, it's illegitimate, but not doing anything about it. I do think it's quite possible that, you know, to the extent that there are any contested elections or recounts and stuff like that, I'm sure they'll fully... Um, mobilize their lawyers, which that's how it works. Sure. That's, that's what they should do. And probably I'm sure there'll be a lot of, um, you know, bogus stories on Breitbart right. and stuff like that. Yep. But I, I, I would be very surprised if there is more than that. I mean, I guess where I, where I really, where I think something like that could come into play is if the Democrats take the House of Representatives and if they, as they should and as they expect they will, start a number of investigations of President Trump, a, a significant part of that process is subpoenaing the executive branch mm-hmm. and saying, this person has to talk to us, we need these documents, blah, 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 blah. There's where I think you could see a lot of this White House just saying no. Yeah. And not even, not, I mean, there's always a, a, a push and pull and, you know, every administration wants to put limits on, on, on what Congress can look at and those things get litigated. But that's somewhere where I think there's a possibility where it could go beyond that, where you have not only an aggressive legal defense, but just saying no. And, yeah. and, and when the... Um, when it's it's not totally clear who can referee that. And plus, now we have a Supreme Court exactly, that, that right. is like totally, not just a conservative Supreme Court, but I think one that has at least three justices who are clearly partisan justices, mm-hmm. who are not just conservative justices, that are partisan justices. And I think there's a good argument, there's five, but there's at least three that I think will just return, you know, good good decisions for Trump. So that yeah. that's somewhere that I I, I think that yeah. Could Anyways, come maybe into play. maybe I'm getting ahead of uh, of our discussion. So I know you you wrote a, a post on the site a couple of days ago asking readers to write in about their races they're interested in. So kind of what are you what are you looking at these days? You know it. I, I did that post where I asked people to, you know, write in, tell us what races you're excited about. And, and I made a point that, you know, don't just tell us you're excited about Beto O'Rourke, right? right. <laughs> you know, we wanted it. I mean, Beto's fine. But, yeah. but we wanted it to be, you know, a race that you have some connection to. Yeah, it's maybe in, in your backyard, what you're seeing. Yeah, it's like in your district yeah. or in your state or maybe it's the next district over and you're volunteering. And I, I should have known this because, like, it. I knew we'd get a lot of responses, but we just had like a, an avalanche of responses. And then I was like, "How can I po- like How can I possibly decide which of these to, right. to publish? Because there's just so many." But you know, it's it's funny. You, you you read those, and you do get a you get a little you know kind of sentimental or whatever about the democratic process because like there's one I was reading um, just this morning that is about, I think, a state Senate race in Connecticut. Mm. Um, And uh, I I don't remember the name. I mean, you know, Connecticut state politics, pretty opaque to me, even though it's it's the neighboring state. Um, But, 
you have a case where I guess you you have a uh, a Republican state senator who gets you know gets consistently reelected even though Connecticut's a fairly democratic state and he's one of these Republicans you know you never see Republican on his yard signs mm. and he kind of you know gets through but this cycle because of President Trump and all that uh, and you know he's in a race for it and you just have you know you have all of these races around the country yeah. um, that are are just fascinating microcosms that in the nature of things we can't know about all of them because there are thousands of them right um, and there was another I, I, another reader was telling me about um, this race again another state legislative race I believe um, in Michigan uh, what do they call that? The Upper Peninsula? Yep. Yeah, uh, up there. And again, you know, a nurse um, running for office for the first time. And this person was saying how they were, and this person's involved in the campaign, you know, volunteering and stuff like that. And this person was saying how they've been shocked at the at the amount of money that is being thrown into that race from the Republican side. You know, again, state legislative race. This is not, you know, you don't you don't get a lot of big TV buys generally for these, um, but lots of negative campaigning, and this person's kind of, you know, wondering, oh, where's the where is the money coming from? Yeah. Um, so all of these all of these things are out there. One thing I do want to mention, we are we are rightly focused on the House because the Senate is conceivably in play, but it's a really a long shot. It was always a long shot. The Democrats had a had a point in like September where it kind of seemed like, okay, maybe this could, you know, maybe this could happen. Um, their incumbents were doing well, and they were having some opportunities in like Tennessee, conceivably even Texas. That has sort of receded now. So the real key is the House. You need you need some check to Trump. You need investigations. All those things we know. Okay, but what is also what is what is getting a lot less attention, but is also really really important, is governors' races, right? Um, and also state the state legislative races that we're already talking about. But those are inherently. I mean, again, it's thousands of races yeah. around the country. So it's really hard to... Yeah, those sort of bubble up when someone says something embarrassing exactly. or to our, you know, to, to our side or our, our kind of uh, periphery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so it's it's hard to kind of keep an eye on those. I mean, yeah. It's hard enough to kind of keep an eye on the House because of so many races. But the governor's races, there's two really critical things about the governor's races. Obviously, um, if you're a Democrat, you like to see Democratic governors, Democratic governance, blah, 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 blah. But now it is especially critical. The Democrats at the moment hold very few governorships around the country. I think it's like 15 to 35 or something, you know, give or take in that margin, may even be 14. Um, And going into Holding governor's races in big swing states is going to be a big, big deal in 2020, in the 2020 presidential election. Um, it's always an advantage for a party to uh, have the gov- you know, have the governor in a key state. There's various you know kind of things you, you you can do. They have a political machine that just won an election recently, so it's it's positive in a lot of different ways. But going into 2020, we have already seen 
that President Trump and the GOP is putting more and more muscle into voter suppression. So it is really critical. The only way you can really stop that, especially now that the courts are are totally dominated at the apex by by Republican uh, appointees, the only way you can really stop that is to control the state governments. And so that's 2020. Arguably, even more important is 2022, because that is when you have the next redistricting around the country. And one thing that if you are watching this cycle, you know that it is a rough consensus that the Democrats need to win the aggregate vote for the House by five or six percentage points just to have a chance of winning the majority of the House. So that is really worth giving some thought to. They have to win by five or six percentage points, even to be have a shot in getting a one seat majority. So that tells you it's not 100% gerrymandering. There's also just the concentration of Democratic voters in, 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 in big cities. But gerrymandering is a big part of it. 2022, you're going to have redistricting. And if in a lot of states, particularly a lot of states in the Midwest, where Democrats are doing pretty well right now, if you have the governor, the governor can veto a redistricting. So if the Democrat, if the governor is a Democrat, even if you don't hold the state legislature, maybe you can't make it an advantageous redistricting for Democrats, you can at least veto these insane uh, you know, redistricting yeah. that we're operating on now. And which try is, to come to something more reasonable. Yeah, at least, at least kind of put a, you know, at least get to a real negotiation about right. having something that's like somewhat reasonable. Because you have some of these states that are just, you know, you have a, you have states like, you know, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, that states that both went for Trump uh, this cycle, but have been Democratic states, and are overwhelmingly represented by Republican members of Congress. Anyway, so back to governors. These governor races are a big, big deal. Uh, they, they won't have, you know, kind of an immediate impact in 2019 nationally, but a big, big deal. And you have uh, Democrats are doing quite well in a number of states in the Midwest. Uh, Pennsylvania is, is pretty clearly going to stay uh, in, in, in the Democratic column. Uh, in Wisconsin, Tony Evers, the yeah, he's former do, superintendent. Yeah, he's he's. I mean, that is that is a very closely contested race, but he seems to have you a know edge, the edge, seems, yeah. right? Um, and obviously, it would be pretty. A lot of Democrats would would be very happy to kind of you know end uh, Scott Walker's reign in that yeah. state. Um, Ohio, unfortunately, is the one place is not it, the Republican candidate seems to be in in a, in a in a more commanding position, but Michigan is in the is in that group. Um, I think the de- the uh, uh, Democratic candidate is doing well in Minnesota, uh, Colorado. So you've got you have uh, also uh, Illinois. Um, so you have a bunch of states. Uh, I'm pretty sure Iowa as well. Again, all of these states are going to be. Uh, very important for 2020 and, and 2022. But to me, in some ways, you know, the most exciting thing about this cycle is that you have two progressive African-American Democrats running for governor in Georgia and Florida, and both of them could win. 
and and you know again it's 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 one of these it, it's there has uh, I believe there has only ever been there have been very few African American governors ever right. in the United States. Um, I believe the only since Reconstruction, I believe the only time in the South is, was uh, Douglas Wilder in Virginia, which is now almost 30 years ago. Mm. Um, and the key thing is, is that, you know, generally speaking, when in, in the sort of model we are used to, the idea would be, well, you know, if, if, if the Democrats are going to run an African-American candidate for governor in, in the Deep South, they've got to have like, you know, a very conservative fiscal discipline, all this kind of stuff. In this case, these are both very much progressive grassroots candidates. Um, Andrew Gillum in Florida seems to be in a pretty commanding position. Seems that way, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the Republican DeSantis is like this sort of, you know, hardcore right. Trump. Yeah, I mean, he's sort of best known in this cycle, probably to our readers and most people, for that ridiculous uh, Trump ad where he reads his like re- kind of young child, the art of the deal, yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's sort of a, a joking thing, but right. basically just sort of wearing on his sleeve that he is totally beholden <laughs> right. to Trump. I mean, he yeah. seemed. It's funny. I think he went to. Uh, I think he went to. I don't know, like you know, Harvard or something like that. So as much as he like acts like a rube i don't think he's actually like right. an imbecile um you know it's not that not that you you know generally speaking unless you're kind of from from money you at least have to be relatively smart to to get into a school like that so i don't think he's yeah. a, a, like i don't think he is as dumb as he as he sounds mm-hmm. um on tv but he is very right wing yeah and andrew gillum is i'm pretty is it jacksonville mayor of jackson i think yeah, that sounds right. I, I'm pretty sure he's he's mayor of uh, Jacksonville. Um, again, he looks like he's going to win. And having, you know, the Democrats have not. He seemed to have a good debate the other night. He had a really, I actually, uh, we were traveling, so I actually didn't see it. I saw the highlights. Mm-hmm. Did you see it? I, I saw the highlights as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he seemed to do really well. And he, I mean, that, like, he is favored to win. In Georgia, you have Stacey Abrams. Right. She would who, become the first black woman governor in the country, right? Ever. Yeah. In history. Um, and and so there's a, a lot of firsts. And again, it's Georgia. And, and that race is really close. It seems, I think that most prognosticators give Brian Kemp, her Republican opponent, a slight edge. But that is definitely very much in contention. And there you have, we actually had a... Um, uh, Wait, was it, it was an Allegra's piece. That, right. Wait, was it Allegra's piece or was it? I'm getting confused now. Um, anyway, we 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 had a, a piece on this that we published a few weeks ago. That is a it is a very interesting race on a number of fronts. But one is that voting rights are peculiarly on the ballot, right? Because the Republican is the Secretary of State, i.e. He runs the elections exactly. in the state, and he's doing all of basically all of the voter suppression stuff in his own behalf yeah. to win. Um, and Abrams, the Democrat, has been a big voting rights person, you know, kind of in her whole history um, in, in 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 politics in the state. So these are like, you know, in a lot of ways, th- those are those are kind of historic races. Um, and just across the country, um, these governor's races are a big deal, even though they are not, um, 
you know they're not getting all the attention right as the as the as it's the also Senate good to have a, a kind of a bench of candidates for the party, I guess, right? I mean, that's sort of where they come from traditionally. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that was, that was you know, this is, there's a whole kind of self-flagellating debate the Democrats have about the, 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 the losses they sustained at the state level during the Obama era. But yeah, that is absolutely the case. That was what was, um, that was what was happening uh, for the Republicans over the course of the Obama years. So yeah, it's, it's hugely important, um, for just, you know, for presidential elections, for redistrictings, for frankly, you know, we don't think states are not just, um, you know, launching pads for future presidential candidates or places where you do house districting. (laughs) Also, there's just a huge number of laws that get passed. Um, And like a lot of stuff for like unions and stuff, it's all, it's all, um, it it is a very big deal. And it is not, for understandable reasons, it's not getting as much attention as the congressional races, but they are a big deal. And in some ways are, are where um, Democrats are, are, are doing the best. So what, tell us, your, your team, David, is looking at, is seeing what's happening sort of every day in real time. What, what's bubbling up to you? I guess a lot of what I'm noticing is kind of, I don't know, a lot of ads basically. And Cam Joseph, our congressional like campaign reporter, has covered a lot of that stuff. It's just kind of, um, I guess it's what we're kind of seeing is a lot of the sort of wacky stories that pop up a bit. Um, I'm trying to think of like a so recent like example. Campaign ads or just sort of yeah, crazy campaign, thing? Campaign ads yeah. a, a lot. I mean, like Richard Linklater, who's the Hollywood director behind oh, right. Boyhood and um, what was it? Like School of Rock with Jack Black. Like some of the, oh, he's a Texas he guy. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Anyways, he's done some like ads for Beto O'Rourke. Well, I saw the one with the, with the kind of the grandpa actor. Exactly, that's the thing. Was there another there couple, one? Was, there were okay, a couple with that guy. Ones. Yeah. Right. So there, and then we had that piece yesterday about like all the ad, you know, just these right. kind of Trumpite, basically exactly. the, the things that, that the Republicans wanted to run on the tax yeah. cut, the economy. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's that's really been panned out. So yeah, that's been striking to me too. I mean, it really seems like in this last leg, immigration is like totally just dominating the news uh, among the election. I mean, Trump is making this caravan that's sort of working its way through Mexico, front and center. This is the second time a caravan is, of migrants have been fleeing violence and. Well, I think there's more, but it's the second time it's become like a news exactly story right. in the right. in the United States. Um, that's interesting because that that's telling that that what we hear is that in the districts, Democrats are all in on health care, and right. you can kind of see that because that you have all these Republicans saying, "Oh yeah, pre-existing conditions, we're all over that." Right. So they're totally abandoning their positions. But you're watching the sort of the national cable networks. Right. And so what's – yeah, I mean, healthcare even, isn't what's being talked yeah, about. Yeah, totally. I think even last night Trump came out and said it himself, right? It's the, it's the election of uh, Brett Kavanaugh, the angry mob, which is what he describes Democrats as. Um, and the immigration. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So what – it's interesting. I mean, I'm curious, you know, that is – that is one – you know, the, any president, and particularly this president, has the ability – just to scream and that mm-hmm. dominates the news cycle right. um, and people react to it. Um, it seems like he's comfortable in that lane, obviously. I mean, his campaign in 
the first place was launched sort of with an immigration message. They're bringing drugs. They're rapists. Yeah, yeah. Build the Wall was like a sort of unifying cry throughout his campaign. And it seems like he's sort of returning to that. People feeling, I don't know, just trying to tap into kind of these culture war feelings. Yeah. I mean, look, the the... the there was someone someone did a study i mean a lot of us i don't think needed a study to tell us but a sort of a a more empirical study making the basic point that what was behind trump's victory in 2016 was racial resentment and beyond racial resentment um trump voters feeling like they are losing ground to younger less white more urban and what i mean in that case i don't mean like urban in the sense that people sometimes use it as an uh, as a euphemism just people from the cities yeah um that that was the that was the big thing so it makes sense that he's returning to it i mean the one thing the one thing that uh i don't want to say gives me solace because that makes us seem too sad sack but um the one thing that i do think of is if you remember back one year ago um, the Virginia governor's race with Ralph Northam right. and Ed Gillespie. And that was a race that the Democrats seemed to have an inside track on. It's been a fairly blue state um, in, in recent elections. And at the end, it started to close a bit. And, and Ed Gillespie was doing these like MS-13 yeah, ads. Right. And the these, full Trump yeah, situation. The yeah. full, and the funny thing is, is that... Um, you know, Ed Gillespie is the ultimate Republican right. Party Isn't he lobbyist. Former, former RNC chair, yeah, right? Former, yeah. former, uh, 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 former RNC chair. You know, he he's like the he he's like the guy Reince Priebus wanted to be, right? <laughs> the kind of the Uber insider, yeah. DC. He runs a big lobbying firm, all this kind of stuff. He's so far from that sort of, um, you know, Trumpite. Thing outsider kind and of yet thing. he totally went all in for it and had these just like you know hideous hideous ads. I mean, just straight up sort of racist incitement ads. Yeah. And I know that um, a lot of Democrats in 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 the the final days of that campaign were like, "Damn, you know, he's going to win this ugly, and he's gonna he's going to." Um, take these Trump themes and win. Now, what happened was, is that Northam not only won, but won by a substantial margin. Um, and, you know, so that was, it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't turn out. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully that is, uh, hopefully that's where, I mean, speaking for myself, uh, that's where this cycle is 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 going and I to know turn that, out. You know, Trump is also trying to tell his supporters at these rallies that he's been holding that you know basically pretend that I'm on the ballot. He's trying to you know, you know his base will vote for Trump. The right. question is, do they vote for the Republican in their district or their local race? And he's really trying to make it about himself. Like you're on my team. Yeah, it, and that's and for the Republicans, that's definitely what he should do mm -hmm. um, because. If you're anti-Trump, you know to vote against the right. Republicans. Right. Um, the funny thing, I mean, but he also, I mean, he's A, doing that, which historically a president never does that because it, it, it's, the, I mean, there's a reason why the incumbent presidential party tends to lose seats. You mm -hmm. don't want to nationalize it. You want right. to keep it just local and stuff like that. So he is doing that. At the same time, he is also, because he's Trump and he, and he, 
is never consistent and also doesn't have a lot of impulse control. He is also making this point that, well, if we do lose, it's nothing to do with me. It's just <laughs> the Republican it's Party. It's McConnell and Ryan's fault well, and the, to the, hold their majorities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the weird thing is that, and this is like very disquieting to me and just like weird, that at least in the last week or two, he his numbers are actually going yeah, up. What is with that? Well, <laughs> I think I well, there's there's two things. One is that his numbers are going up even while the Republicans' numbers in what they call the congressional generic ballot, right. that kind of general Congress race uh, poll question, even though the Republicans' numbers have not been going up. In fact, they've actually been trending slightly in the direction of the Democrats. They kind of, Republicans' numbers got better at the end of the Kavanaugh thing, and they've kind of drifted back to, to where they are. Um, so one question is, like, how are they not moving together? M- my sense of with Trump is, is, is this. I think there's a couple things. One is that you have a a non-trivial number of Republicans who are very dyed-in-the-wool Republicans, but for whatever personal character logical reasons, they don't like Trump. They think he's a, they think he's a liar and a loudmouth. So in a normal poll, when they when people say, do you support Trump? Like, nah, you know, he's, 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 he's lame. I, I, I don't like him. Mm-hmm. But in a, in a zero-sum partisan moment, when you really need to be for the Democrats or for Trump, those people, because they're hard Republican partisans, are going to get pushed over to Trump. Right. Um, you can even, it's funny, one, one thing, this goes way back, but in 2004, I remember, if you go back to 2004, it was or at the end of 2004, by the time of the presidential election, it was very clear that the that the occupation of Iraq was going very badly. Whatever you think of everything else involved, it was not going well. And that was Iraq was was a pivotal, arguably the central thing in the campaign. Obviously George Bush won. And what happened was is the Iraq war got more popular in the lead up to the election. And then afterwards, it went down very quickly. And it kept going down um, until 2006 when there was a wave election and then kept going even, you know, even, even longer going down. And my sense of that, and I think this is, this is backed up by kind of different ways I looked at the polls, that we all have a need to bring our different beliefs into alignment. This is something that, that um, is, is a key aspect of human nature. It is very key in politics. In the 2004 election, I think it was pretty clear that if the Iraq war was a mistake, if the Iraq war was gone, going badly, two not identical but very related questions, why would you vote for George Bush again? Because it was 100% George Bush's idea, mm-hmm. basically. So there's that kind of cognitive dissonance 
that people would get. And I think what happened, again, in the lead up to that rate, in, in the lead up to the November 2004 election, is you have a lot of Republican partisans who could sort of like see that it was going terribly, but needed to bring their beliefs into alignment, basically, to vote for George W. Bush because they're Republican partisans. Right. You sort of sort yourself into that camp. Yeah. And you kind of and you kind of you need to think it's going well. Right. Um, because otherwise, it's hard to vote for yeah, George Bush. That totally makes sense. And and I think, and again, if you go back and look at those numbers again, going bad, it gets it gets more, it gets more popular going into the election, even though there was nothing happening on the ground that was right. at all getting better. And I think you see something similar now with Trump. Now, having said that, I did not expect this. So, you know, you take it, take it for, what, yeah. for what it's worth. But I do think that is, I do think that is why. That makes sense. Republican I, partisans need to come into yeah. alignment. And basically. I know NBC had a big poll this week that showed, I think it was among registered voters, not likely. So, you know, there's, they poll voters in different ways, but I think among registered voters, uh, it was like 72% of Democrats are highly interested in the campaign and 68% of Republicans are very highly interested. So there's really not much of a gap between yeah, just got, the enthusiasm and, and the kind of just interest. So. And it's gotten sm- the gap has gotten smaller, which is, which is not a, a great sign for, for, for Democrats. I mean, the one thing, what, what's that, um, we've been in a, a relative poll drought in the last few days for national polls. I mean, his polls coming out constantly, but people rightly put more stock in the big national media polls, the ABC Washington Post poll, the NBC uh, Wall Street Journal poll, yeah. the you know the New York Times poll, CNN poll, blah, 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 blah. So that NBC poll, even though it showed a strong number, I believe it was either nine or 11, um, for the congressional generic ballot, which is right. a very solid. That's what we were just talking for, about earlier. Right, yep. for Democrats. It also showed uh, President Trump's numbers, I think, like the highest since the beginning of his presidency. And it showed that enthusiasm gap having really tightened. Now, maybe when we have other polls that come out in the coming days, you know, it's not that much time left, maybe they will show the same thing, which is which will not be a great thing for for the Democrats. Or maybe that poll is kind of an outlier um, because it. it, 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 But for right now, it's really um, for this week so far, it's really sort of defining the debate yeah. they, or the public conversation yeah. about where things Both are. Both sides uh, are fired up. That's kind of the conventional yeah, wisdom kind of, right and, now. And, yeah. and, and, you know, uh, Democrats still likely to take the House, but yeah. Republicans are coming back and right. all that kind of stuff. So I think we have to see. I mean, I, I certainly um, think we have to see more polls to see whether that is uh, really the trend or um, or whether it's an outlier. And again, does this does this uh, cycle end up being the way that those November 2017 races were, where again Ed Gillespie, the Republican candidate for governor in Virginia, went full on Trump, sort of like you know, hard you know really kind of racist incitement, which is exactly what we're seeing now yeah. with this stuff about you know an invasion right. of, of, uh, of aliens, right. and Middle stuff. Easterners, and, yeah, yeah, I mean just everything, all the just. All of the, all of the coarsest, 
most race baiting, most false stuff that you have heard from in the old days. And when I say old days, I mean before 2015. What in the old days you heard from a handful of crank congressmen in the House, um, Breitbart. Right. But now you hear it from the president of the United States. And even you're saying that, um, you know, and, and we, lo- we we watch each of the channels pretty equally, Fox, CNN, mm-hmm. MSNBC. Yep. Because we're not, we're not looking at them for news. We're looking at them to understand right. um, the sort of the public conversation, as you said. Immigration is dominating, yeah. is, the, is the sort of the, the, the dominating theme. So anyway, um, I hope you have enjoyed this episode. We kind of dug into all the different uh, uh, parts of, of where things seem to be two weeks out from, uh, from Election Day. Um, and that's where, we, that's where we are. So anyway, uh, good to be back. Good to be back Glad with to you, Glad to have Josh. you back, even though we're just, you know, uh, uh, going to a different... Um, we have a different like kind of studio that we re- that we record exactly. the podcast uh, on. Anyway, I want to remind you that the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com. You can check them out for get twenty percent off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's promo code TPM, and we will talk to you next week. See you, Josh. <laughs>